One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to The Commons. I'm your host, Brian Phillips. Uh, today, I'm joined uh, by a friend of, of mine and of the Searcy Institute, Jennifer Dow. She's a, a graduate of the Searcy Apprenticeship Program and is the leader of the Paideia Fellowship in Huntersville, North Carolina. Uh, and we're going to talk a bit about homeschool co-ops, uh, which is a very big topic. So we're going to dive right in. Uh, so Jennifer, first of all, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Um, for taking time out of a very busy schedule to do this. I appreciate having you on. Um, the The world of homeschooling has changed dramatically over the last decade or so, um, really even longer than that, I guess. But uh, once upon a time, homeschooling was unusual. Uh, anyone who wanted to do it was essentially on their own. Uh, in fact, I don't, I don't know that I knew any homeschooled students when I was young. Did you? I knew one family. Okay, one family. And I and it did not make me want to homeschool. <laughs> ah, okay. Okay. Um those But I mean that in the best way possible. Are, yeah, you do. Right. <laughs> obviously. Obviously. Um but but it was very rare. And I think I'm I'm older than you, I believe. I'm I'm forty. You don't have to say anything. Uh but um yes, really older than me. But uh there were there were few curriculum choices. Um, there were very few training resources and even less understanding of why in the world anyone would want to do this. You know, why would you want to homeschool your kids? Um, and, and some people, I guess, still have that lack of understanding, but Mm -hmm. that's, that's lessening. Um, that that's changed a good bit. In fact, when, when my wife and I run into people in our community, uh, they find out we're a homeschooling family, uh, more often than not, they seem almost envious, you mm-hmm. know, and instead of why would you do that? Now we're getting more of the reaction of, well, I don't blame you the way schools are nowadays, right, right. you know, um, I'm sure you've heard that too. Yes. Um, so there are tons of curricula, lots of resources available, um, including the prevalence of homeschool groups and co-ops that mm-hmm. we're talking about today. Uh, you started such a co-op several years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Called the Pidea Fellowship. Yeah. Um, Fellowship. How long ago was that? Uh, we started the last year, so 2013. Okay. Yeah. So the, that's our sixth. Yeah, sixth year. We're wow. in our sixth year. All right. Um, so tell us a little bit about how that started. Tell us about the story of starting Pidea and um, what made you decide to do it. Okay. So. Um, I think it's a pretty interesting story. 
I was a part of another group and I was planning on being a part of that group forever. Um, I was, it was in my last year, two years of the apprenticeship. And, um, and so I was tasked with having to teach the lost tools of writing. So I was, was looking for, for an opportunity for that, um, who would take a chance on this, this lady wanting to teach rhetoric to their kids. And, um, and in the, the same moment, there was a family situation that then inhibited us from being able to afford the community that we were a part of. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty devastating. I mean, they were my, all my friends, uh, it, I was very connected. I, my whole world was wrapped up in that community. And so it, it came from a place of, I can't be alone. I need accountability. And if I can't, you know, afford this thing, then, you know, I have to start my own because I'm not willing to not teach classically. And right. and, and for me, that was the main reason I homeschooled and uh, not because, and, and I know there's different reasons to homeschool, but for sure. me, I wanted, I wanted my kids to have a classical education. And, and, and so when then that community didn't work out, I was like, okay, we got to do this ourselves. So I invited, right. there was a couple other families that were in a similar situation and we're like, let's just meet in my garage. So the first two years we converted my garage into art studio slash classroom space and wow. met there just eight families, um, always intending to go back to the other community when tides shifted. Right. Um, but there I, I think there was something else in the stars for us. So during that time, graduate from the apprenticeship, and I began learning about, um, I start gaining a bigger vision of the liberal arts tradition as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, the seven liberal arts, I start understanding the principles more, um, and I start seeing how they work in reality on the ground level in terms of how to teach and what to teach and what community should look like, or, you know, what community needs to look like in order to make that kind of teaching possible, you know, because there's certain structures that would inhibit the kind of teaching we're saying we want to do within the classical tradition. Right. And, um, and so all of these questions began to emerge. I began to learn about Charlotte Mason and all these new authors, um, speaking to this larger liberal arts tradition, and and we wanted to implement them. And um, the person I was doing it with, we're like, we, we need to, to do this. Um, so we started applying some of those things and word got out and we grew double in half a year. So, oh, wow. So we went from just her and I to eight families halfway through our first year in my garage. And, um, and next the next year, we decreased in number, but at the end of that year, it was like, okay, either we need to do this for real or we have to find somewhere else to do because our kids are becoming teenagers and they need more than three people in their class. They need that community. Right. If we're going to have the dialectical right. experience and wrestle with those ideas and the great works, you have to have more people, yeah. uh, whether it's online or some other capacity. Um, so we put word out, we typed up what our philosophy was, how we were trying to do this, that we were going to focus solely on coaching the skills of the seven liberal arts, which is what we felt homeschool moms needed help with the most. You know, if you look at the three things a teacher can teach, coaching skills is the thing that you cannot do unless you have that within you. Right. You know, you could, you could find a book to help you present knowledge. You can find a lecture to help you present knowledge. You can co-inquire into truth even without knowing a ton, but you cannot coach skills unless you have mm-hmm. that in you. And so we're like, this is this is where moms feel frustrated. So let's help them with that. Why don't we come mm-hmm. together and help them with that? Um, and so we did, and we went from four families to 25 families over one summer. Oh my goodness. And we, you know, found a location at a church. And um, so that was our third year. So we've been there, you know, four years now. Um, 
about the same. We haven't grown in numbers, but mm-hmm. we have refined a lot of things. Right. Uh, but that, that's that's kind of how we started. We weren't expecting to start anything big. We were just like, wow. I can't be alone. I need accountability, <laughs> and I want to do this classical education thing. So please come over to my house. You know, it started uh, out of desperation. Yeah, and apparently, apparently, a lot of other families were afraid of being alone too. Yes, in apparently. that same journey. Yeah, <laughs> and it, that's that's a very interesting point because. One of the big challenges that a lot of people face, and, and it's difficult for all of us, when you when you are learning what classical education is supposed to look like, and particularly now at this the stage we're in with the classical renewal, if you will, um, learning to, well, figuring out what it looks like to have a liberal arts education. You know, not liberal arts in the sense of um, general studies, mm-hmm. like we think of at the university level now. But a genuine liberal arts education, you know, we're we're recovering something that's been lost for quite a while. Yes. And so having a community where you can strive together to figure out what that looks like, not just theoretically, but day in, day out, week after week, um, it doesn't surprise me that that your community grew very quickly. And of course, that that can present its own challenges, right? Oh Going goodness. from four family to four families <laughs> to twenty-five. Yeah, right? that was crazy. So, so let's transition into that. What were the biggest struggles you faced in the early days? Or, um, I mean, you can do it now too. Even call yeah. people by name if you'd like. That's fine. <laughs> Who's causing you the most trouble? Well, let me get out my list. I right. can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think the biggest thing is having to come face to face with myself as a leader, because mm. um, I had. When you're leading a group of people, uh, it, you you have to really get honest with yourself about where am I feeling as a leader, um, and where and and that could be as simple as I didn't communicate the vision clearly, and and that was that was my biggest mistake early on. Is I we grew really fast, but I had not clearly communicated enough what our central point of unity was, what we were really coming together around. And so we had a 60% turnover that first year, at the end of that first year when we moved to the church and had 25 families. Mm -hmm. Now we regained all of those families the next summer. But the the mistake I had made was I'm more of an intuitive person. So I'm like, oh, you know what I mean, right? Right. (laughs) That's my natural (laughs) default communication. Assume the best. Right, Right, right. I'm like... Yes, of course, you know what all this is. And I made a lot of assumptions that people understood things that um, all the things that I understood. And and that's not saying anything negative about anybody, but I had been through the apprenticeship. You know, I had there's some some training I had received that other people hadn't received. And so it was my responsibility to communicate that clearly and say, this is what we're coming around. Uh, This is our central point of unity. This is why we're meeting. This is what you can expect from us. This is what is expected of you. Um, And I I think the reason, first of all, I, I still needed to learn that how important that was. But second of all, I just wanted more people. Our teenagers right. were lonely. Yeah. And so I allowed that desire to have more people for them be a greater drive than making sure we were all on the same page. Um, mm-hmm. And because I was so focused on that, I didn't even think about the fact that I wasn't communicating the vision clearly. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and the the consequence was that 60% turnover. And I, it was hard. Also, it didn't occur to me that I needed a leadership team because it was just, what, four of us? Mm-hmm. There's 
we just make decisions together. Right. That would, that would almost feel silly, right? right? You know, who, which yeah. one of the four of us is going to be on the leadership team? Right. You know, it's kind of everyone at that point. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But then when you move like that, it didn't occur to me that I needed one. So I was doing right. everything by myself and, um, it, 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 I, I suffered yeah. <laughs> with my, yeah. my health and everything. And, um, I know, you know, just being transparent because that's the reality of somebody trying to take right. on that kind of stuff. Right. Um, you have to have that support system. Especially when you find yourself thrust into a leadership position. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not as if you went out going, I'm going to start my own homeschool co-op. We're going to make this as big as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to be the head of it. Um, it sounds like this took off so quickly that you're really just playing catch up from the beginning. Yes, right? um, I would agree. Yeah, that, that uh, and that kind of rapid growth can cause a lot of difficulty. Mm-hmm. And as you said, trying to grow for the sake of growing, as far as getting people there, mm-hmm. can be very problematic too. Especially if you don't have those clear indications of who you are and what you want right. to be. Uh, so, what about the the? Well, I, I don't know if I interjected too soon. Did you have other struggles that you wanted to share? The the communication was the biggest one, especially around our purpose, our central purpose. Um, and then sharing the load, having a leadership team and not taking it on myself, um, all, all of it on myself had to learn how to release uh, right. some of it and let it be a team effort. Um, there's a, this one quote, people support that, which they help to create. And mm-hmm. I learned that in a very hard way, yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah. it was a lesson I learned for sure. Um, did you have a, uh, a Jethro to come alongside of you like Jethro did for Moses when he saw <laughs> Moses carrying everything and, you know, being so involved in trying to decide everything for the people of Israel. And, right. you know, what you're doing is not good. You need to delegate this to some other people. Or was it just sort of, you just reached the end of your rope sort of and. Well, so my friend Dara, we were the ones that kind of were there together mm-hmm. the whole time. And um, I call her my sister muse. Uh, because okay. I, it actually is inspired from um, Wendell Berry's essay on poetry and marriage oh. and where he's talking about form and the two muses. And I remember we were at a mom's night out. It was that first year we had grown and I'm like the visionary extraordinaire. Let me tell you all the things that's going to happen and, and paint this beautiful picture of all the things we were going to do. And, and I was having one of those moments right. totally into my right. <laughs> communicating my vision. And she just looks at me like, eyes wide open. And I can't remember the exact thing she said, but it was essentially, I was the muse of inspiration in that moment. She was the muse of form and she crushed my dreams. (laughs) (laughs) It takes a true friend to crush your dreams. Right. right? And I was, I was, I was mad. I, I didn't talk to her for three days, but then this essay was assigned in the apprenticeship and, and I start reading this and I read it and just very dramatically, I throw the book down and I start crying. I'm like, she's the muse of form. I've divorced myself from my beautiful muse of form. How could I not see this? I, you know, I just very dramatic. <laughs> and okay, I, I don't I, remember that happening to <laughs> Moses exactly, but okay. This is right. the, the, you know, very dramatic homeschool mom version. Right. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> And I called her and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize what was happening, but it was amazing. You know, first of all, we reconciled. I wasn't mad at her anymore. I saw what was happening, but I was trying to achieve all of this vision without any form. 
Like mm. it was just floating around in the air and I thought it was just going to happen, but right. that's not how things work. You have to have things that fit into a form. And she was reminding me, like Wendell Berry says, that it is harder yet than you think. And um, yes. and I had to come to terms with that. Um, if it hadn't been for her, Padilla Fellowship would have failed. Um, you know, I, I did the most of the, you know, the grunt work in terms of getting it done, but she was always there for me to bounce all the ideas off of because I didn't want to make decisions on my own because I know how foolish I can be sometimes, you know, like in my own head, like I need to externalize it and ask other people's advice. And, um, and so I think that was probably the thing I did the most right as I always asked advice sometimes maybe too much, but I think it was better to err on that side than the other. Well, absolutely. And that, that, has a way of, of building up trust, yeah. right? If you're, if you're willing to sort through decisions with people that you, that you trust as a, as a counselor or advisor. And, um, even if they say, well, yeah, of course, you know, it's a no brainer. It's still in, in their minds, you know, um, makes it easier. It's easier to follow a leader who's a bit more transparent and mm-hmm. willing to take counsel. But, um, that's a wonderful lesson. Um, so, We've gone into the victories and lessons a little bit already. What about other things that you've learned over the years, not just in um, in those early years, but over these now, you know, you're in your sixth year mm-hmm. um, uh, leading the co-op. So what have been the most striking lessons that stand out to you as you look back over all this time? Well, obviously the things I've already mentioned, the sister muse, the, um, I, I want to emphasize this whole idea of a central point of unity because, you know, I, I mentioned it, but the, I, I, I've count, I, I counsel people who are trying to start communities and mm-hmm. so do some consulting with that. And that's the number one thing that we have to work on is what is your central point of unity? What is your purpose for coming together? Um you know, what kind of community are you? Because there's different kinds and mm-hmm. do the expectations that you set out um, and and communicate match the expectations that parents have of you. Uh, and so all of this is wrapped up together. I know it's several different talking right. points, but right. the, the, it starts with this idea of what is our purpose? What kind of community are and what what is our central point of unity? Are we here to coach skills? Are we here to have experiences? Are you know what? Why are we meeting? We have to yeah. identify that. I think sometimes when um, and this was definitely true, the lesson I learned. But as I help other groups start, that we get excited to start a group, or we do it out of necessity, but we really haven't thought through why are we meeting together. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, you know, some people may come around because they're all in the same denomination and they want to have something that supports their their religious efforts and pursuits. Right. Um, or they may have some, you know, like Padilla Fellowship, we we want to pursue the seven liberal arts, and so we have a more ecumenical feel. Um, mm-hmm. For example, some, some people may all be of the same denomination, but maybe the couple of the leaders, they are... Um, they have a, a tendency to want to do one philosophy of education over the other, but everyone else just doesn't care. They just want to be with their 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 church people. Right. Um, and so, without even realizing it, you have a situation that emerges where there's division from the onset. Right. Um, so, if you're going to say that our central point of unity is the fact that we are, you know, all Presbyterians or all Orthodox or whatever, mm-hmm. then that means you have to be more flexible 
in the other things. That means you have to be okay with the fact that people are going to practice other philosophies of education and how do you come around that? Or if you want to, you know, be more niched, um, that we're going to be this denomination and we're going to, you know, have these, this philosophy of education. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of stuff like that, that, that's huge. I mean, if you don't do anything else in planning a group, you have to got to spend some major time on that. Right. Really getting clear and in your mind and in words that you can communicate to others what that central point of unity is and how you're going to deal with the other things in terms of how flexible you'll be and how flexible you won't be. Right. That's a that's a really profound point because what you were describing is something that we we almost do instinctively. Um, we rally around certain people or things or places or groups, um, almost automatically. Um, and, and in the context of a homeschool co-op, you can have people who, well, our kids and their kids are good friends. So we're going to join that co-op and, um, and it it could be relational. It could be theological, as you mentioned, It, it could be geographical, you know, any number of things can end up linking people together um, but if they're not, if they're not there for the same reason and they're not aware of what that reason is, then you can really get yourself in trouble. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, right. Or there's certainly the potential for it. Now, um, Matt Bianco actually told me about a, uh, conference talk that you delivered. I mm-hmm. believe it was at a Cersei conference. It was actually at the, um, the St. Amelia conference. Okay. I haven't spoken at yeah, a Cersei conference said. yet. Oh, you haven't? Not yet. Well, that was subtle. <laughs> huh. All right. Well, well, I will be this summer. So. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's, it's, it's coming then. That's good. It is, it is. Um, so, so Matt was telling me about this talk that he heard you give apparently not at a Cersei <laughs> conference, um, where you were discussing the various types of homeschool co-ops. Mm-hmm. Um, and you alluded to that a little bit, or, or at least a bit about what can bring people together. So can you review that for us? I sure. mean, the, the types of co-ops that are out there and how they differ? Right. Okay. So um, I was processing through this because I was noticing a lot of people having very disappointed expectations mm-hmm. in a variety of homeschool community settings. And so I, I'm like, why is this happening? Why is there so much discontentment? Is it really that this community is so awful? You know, I, I just don't think that's the case. What? But why is this happening? And um, it actually started from something um, Andrew shared with me about the five R's and oh, yeah. um, that each each role that you have in a community that it has to be defined based on what, what the role is, um, you know, what responsibility they have to everyone else, who they're under authority, um, who they have authority over, uh, what resources they have and what rights they have and resources and rights should then be um, there to help them fulfill their responsibilities. So we have this dynamic. One of the things I was noticing about homeschool co-ops, especially one day a week co-ops, is that there is a lot of confusion about where rights and responsibilities leave the homeschool mom and then are given to the community. Because Mm -hmm. we're technically still homeschool moms. According to the state, it's within our right to you know, make whatever decision we want to make. But the nature of community is that there's a coming together. And depending on the kind of community you are will determine 
how that rights and responsibilities move. And and the way that I illustrated it to my leadership team and my mentors is I set it up as um, a kind of a sliding scale with um, all of those five things um, labeled on, on a line. Okay. And then as rights were given up it or as, as responsibility was given over, that automatically meant that the other things would move. Right. So, so for example, and I don't know if you needed all that background, but no, um, no, that's yeah, helpful. Okay. So, um, I feel like there's three basic kinds of communities. There's first just the cooperative. Mm-hmm. This is we're just coming together primarily for fellowship. There might be some classes, we might do some field trips, but if there is academic classes, each individual teacher decides completely what they're going to do, how they're going to teach. There's not really any governance uh, about teaching method or philosophy, just that they're teaching. Um, oftentimes it's free. Everyone, or They may require all parents to teach something. So whether you like teaching or not, like the subject or not, you may just have to do it because you're a part of this community and it's your responsibility. Right. Um, then there are, and, and, and I am focusing on these three kinds based on academic offerings. So right. the, 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 um, okay. I, I'm kind of ignoring the groups that come together just for field trips um, or just for fellowship, right. uh, the three kinds that offer something academic. Okay. Uh, so the second kind would, I, I would consider, I call it an experience-based community okay. where they the curriculum is set out. Oh, I forgot to mention with the first kind, there's a lot of picking and choosing. If the kids don't really do the work, and anyone who's taught homeschoolers knows that this is the case, they feel like they can just choose what they're not going to do because, according to the law, you can choose what you're not going to do. Right. It's within your right to do that. And and so you see a lot of that at the co-op level. Then you yeah. have the experience-based community. Here, there is a unified curriculum or course of study that is being presented. They want everyone to get on board with. We're going to read these books, study these things, and then we're going to come together and discuss them, maybe do a science experiment. And so there's a big element of community, but then there's also a huge element of co-inquiring into truth. So when you think about the three things a teacher can teach, you can present knowledge, coach a skill, co-inquire into truth, you know, that the second kind is going to co-inquire into truth. This is where you're going to have your discussions about the literature. Um, You're going to maybe answer questions about math problems or have a science experiment. Mm-hmm. Then the the third kind I would call a homeschool school. This is where your coaching skills, um, that the teacher is responsible for coaching the skills, assessing the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the curriculum and the course of study and the assignments is dictated by the teacher or the, the community, depending on how it's structured. If it's just an online class, it's totally... Uh, directed by the teacher. You right. don't get to say, well, I'm not doing that. Well, you don't have to take my class. You know, I mean, right, right. or maybe it's better if you, you know, choose a different course or something yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, there's an expectation that you align yourself with it. Right. I'm finding that the most common homeschool communities is the experience-based and the co-op. But a lot of people don't recognize how much the the experience-based community there still carries a lot of this idea that, oh, I don't really have to align myself with it. And so when what I, I learned from exploring that is 
It's not being communicated clearly enough that this is a course of study we're all choosing to align ourselves with. And it's fine if you don't want to align yourself with this course of study. This just might not be the right co-op for you. This might not be the right community for you, which is totally fine. You have to find your right fit. But to say, if you're a co-op and you want to have complete freedom, because that would be one side of the spectrum, homeschool mom, total freedom but also has all the responsibility right? Yeah. and, and has yeah. to come up with all the resources. Way other extreme, classroom five-day-a-week teacher, parents have almost no responsibility, but right. they have to give over resources. Um, right. And You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But a one-day-a-week school has to collaborate with parents like no other academic setting has to. And it's mm. very difficult to have a very uh, successful community where you're having to, to, to deal with that. And yeah. so... Um, I've spent a lot of time talking to my families about, and we're, uh, we kind of, um, Pidea Fellowship is a synthesis of a homeschool school Mm -hmm. and an experience-based community because we coach skills. We identified that's what parents needed the most. That's what we wanted to do. And so if you join Pidea Fellowship, you have to, uh, you have to have decided that, hey, I like this course of study and we're going to get on board with this. Right. Um, You can't pick and choose at Pidea. Um, and so you ha- you have to know what kind of community am I? Li- is this a community that says, "Hey, we already have our course of study picked out"? Yeah. And if you don't like it, well, then that's not the community for you. Maybe what you're sensing is you need a total freedom homeschool mom co-op mm-hmm. where you can pick and choose, and that's okay. Yeah. But we can't join an organization to change it. Right. Right. That's um, that's a really important realization um is a, thank you for going through those uh, mm-hmm. for for summarizing your conference talk um very quickly for me i appreciate that um now uh, our our family recently joined um a homeschool co-op in our little town uh albemarle north carolina and it was a big decision um because you know my my wife was a teacher uh before our oldest uh child our daughter temperance was born Um, and you know, I, I've been in classical education for, I don't know how many years now. Um, and so we were really excited to homeschool our kids and, uh, you know, I guess, I guess we both have a bit of an independent streak as well, which runs pretty deep in a lot of homeschool families. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so we hadn't really planned on joining a co-op, but, um, but then the more we found out about this one, uh, Scully Village in Albemarle. So if mm-hmm. any of the moms or dads are listening, hello. Um, they're amazing, by the way. Jennifer's yes, they awesome. are. They are. Uh, one. They're, it's been such a blessing. Um, but it was a big decision mm-hmm. for us to, to jump into that. One of the things that I really admired about the process that we went through to become part of that community was that they they met with us multiple times. Um, my wife and I, the kids as well. Um, and they gave our family a chance to visit, uh, during one of the the co-op days. And that was extremely helpful because they wanted to make sure that we understood what they were about mm-hmm. and what they weren't. Amen. Um, and as a result, and it also gave, uh, I, I guess you could say multiple touches, um, for my wife who, you know, is there every co-op day and the kids who are there every co-op day for them to know what they were getting into and what was going to be expected. And so creating that sense of expectation was wonderful. So our kids were able to plug right in and, you know, it felt like they had just 
never missed a beat. They mm-hmm. didn't feel like the new kids, you know, because right. they knew what they were getting into. Um, but how does understanding these different types of co-ops help with that decision to join? Because it is a big decision. And that's actually something I, I'll do the little rant here for a second. I, one thing that does concern me is, is when we homeschooling parents, um, use our independence as an excuse for bailing on things. Mm. Um, and I, that's, that's a problem. That's -hmm. something that we have to be careful of. So, um, in other words, if this podcast helps families, uh, figure out the right co-op to join, wonderful. But if it keeps families from joining a co-op who are just going to bail on it, Mm -hmm. that's wonderful too, right? right? Because that's, that's hard. It's hard on the, uh, the homeschool parents, it's hard on the kids and it's hard on the community that you leave. Right. Right. Community. Keyword being, this is a community. This is not, when you are joining a co-op, you're joining a community. This is not just, I remain my individual entity and you can't tell me anything. Right. Like that's not the nature of community. If you want to maintain that in its entirety, then you can't join a community. Right. Like that, that doesn't fit. Yeah. And that's fine if that's what you want. And I think that's yeah, the thing yeah. I want to communicate. Wherever you are and whatever you feel like you need is okay. Mm-hmm. I just want people to be honest with themselves about it. Like, let me encourage right. you to be right. honest. You know what? Maybe I do just want to be total free, hippie mm-hmm. rebel, <laughs> homeschool mom, <laughs> and go for it. You know, do your thing, you know? Um, and that's fine. But but then don't join a community because you have a you you have a responsibility to a community when right. you join one. Right. Um and I, I think that looking at these different types of homeschool communities can help you ask ask yourself, what do I want? What do mm-hmm. I need? Mm-hmm. For me, I needed help teaching and I needed accountability desperately, but I could not sacrifice a whole day and it not be include academic work. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't sacrifice a day of just fellowship, and then I would still have to fit in all their subjects and all their lessons on other days. So unless it was a serious academic community, yeah, it can be fun and wonderful and enjoyable, but it had to deal with academics. That that, that was for me. Right. Um, if your primary need is just fellowship. Mm-hmm. Well, then, then maybe joining one that's really serious on academics, unless that's another one of your goals, isn't the right fit. So you can sure. think about what is it that you feel like you need. Right. Um, and just because you join a community doesn't mean that need is going to get filled. You have to join the community that offers fulfillment for that need that you have. Right. And make sure that you're not going into it with a different set of expectations than right. what they can deliver. Right. And, and if you're not sure... I mean, I, th- I think this is good advice, not just for co-ops, but in general. But if you're not sure what you're getting into, then you might just need to back up and right. and find out first. Right, because right? you know, I'm being, I'm very, I, I'm communicating very clearly, you know, to my parents now. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, um, but not every director yeah. is going to communicate clearly. They may not have figured that out yet. So you as the parent are responsible for asking the questions to figure that out as right. well. Yeah. And, and yeah. then the other element could just be completely logistical. The more you get into coaching skills, the more expensive it's going to be because mm-hmm. you're giving up more responsibility mm-hmm. and that means you have to pay for it. Right. You know, you can't expect, you know, so it, 
the more coaching that happens, the more time consuming it is for the teacher and the more they ought to be compensated for that. Unless your community just has an understanding that we, you know, all the parents who don't teach have these volunteer roles or, you know, there's different ways to structure things. But generally speaking, the more homeschool school you get, the more expensive it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And now you've already, uh, I'm kind of leading into, I have one more question, but you've already given a lot of great advice to, um, to people who are either looking to potentially join a homeschool co-op or um, maybe they're in a homeschool co-op and they're facing some disappointment and they don't know why. Um, and, and I think what you said can help clear a lot of that up, but you've also given some good counsel to people who might be in leadership positions already mm-hmm. in a co-op or looking to go into that. Um, and you've, you mentioned that you've done some consulting with people who are thinking about going down this road and mm-hmm. starting a group. Um, at Cersei, we, we have, um, we've had a lot of communication with people who are interested in doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and their reasons vary. The goals vary, as you said, uh, what they envision, um, uh, might be very unique, uh, based on where they are, uh, but they're working through what it might look like. So, um, any final advice that you have to those people who are thinking of starting a co-op, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, again, just adding on to, the, mm-hmm. the good counsel you've already given? I think um, the thing I would add is that you also have to look at it as a business. Even if you're charging nothing and it's just a barter system, mm-hmm. that you're starting a business with a brand image. And if you're trying to get people to join, that there's going to be marketing involved. And so as a leader, you have to think of yourself as a business leader. So read books about business. Listen to some podcasts about business. Start to understand people management principles. Um, Mary Kay Ash, the person who started the the famous you know Mary Kay Cosmetics, she actually has an incredible business book called Mary Kay on People Management, and it's geared towards women managing women. Hmm. And so it's perfect for the the average homeschool right. mom. Okay. I mean, it's great for all people, but especially for women. And that that's where I got the quote. Um, People support that which they help to create. She mm-hmm. really spent time observing women and how they are. Um, books like Ego is the Enemy. That's one of my favorites. Um, it actually draws on Stoic philosophy, a lot of the classics. So good. And and it's principles of leadership within the framework of the classical tradition. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he would name it that way, but that's certainly how I, I right. understood it as right. I listened. Um Understanding what brand imaging is, that you, whatever your purpose and goal is, you have to communicate that at every level. How you share on social media, you know, how you, the people giving tours, are they all saying the same thing? Is the way your class is structured support the, the, the purpose that you say you have. You have to think through all those things. And so um, it's something I think most homeschool moms just doesn't occur to them. Right. But I, um, I would encourage them um, you know, start, start thinking about business. It's a business yeah. and you have to learn those skills as well. That's good. Um, and I think sometimes when we think about classical school leadership, it's, it's important because you can, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you can go off into one extreme or the other. And I guess everything is that way, really. Um, But with particularly leading a classical school or co-op, you can lead it as if it is only a business. Mm -hmm. um, Or you can lead it um, 
in a way that neglects good business sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I think that, uh, you certainly can run into both, um, but that's very good advice, especially coming at it from a homeschooling perspective. Usually, um, homeschooling parents, they are, they are, they are actively engaged in providing a classical education and they are, um, you know, day in and day out, uh, entrenched in the academic life with their children. Um, even if it's, you know, very early grammar school, that's what they're entrenched in. Um, they're leading, but not necessarily as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's very helpful as you transition out of that world, um, of just of homeschooling and into a co-op, you do have to take on a different way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know many homeschool moms who have sat down and like, okay, first day of class, I'm going to go over the, uh, the mission and vision statement with my children. <laughs> um, you know, uh, there might be some of you out there who did yeah. that. If so, God bless you. But you know. <laughs> Well, and not even necessarily with the children, but especially if you're starting a school or a co-op or a community, right. um, because you're going to embody something regardless. Yes. All yes. branding and business questions do is make sure that's intentional. That's good. That's good. Very helpful. Well, to all of you out there, I, I hope that uh, this has been encouraging and enlightening. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for taking time to, to join us today. My pleasure. For Jennifer Dow, I'm Brian Phillips, your host. Hope you enjoyed the show and we'll talk to you again soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.